I just want to say <coughs> a little bit about spiritual warfare. When you decide to spend time with God, isn't it strange how you experience spiritual warfare? It's like the devil wants to stop you from getting closer to God. So if God wants you to be close to him, the devil wants you not to be close to him. And uh, <clears throat> as a pastor, been, I've been pastoring the same church for 35 years now, Woo! down in Wembley. <laughs> Thank you. 35 church. Have I ever thought of leaving? Uh, at least 300 times. <laughs> Especially in the early years. But I enjoy it a lot more these days. But just being, being there a long time and observing people over the years, how their lives begin to blossom when they learn how to have faith themselves, when they learn to pray, when they learn to have victory over the evil one. And uh, it's not just someone getting it for them. You know, when they have learned themselves how to enforce, uh, you know, uh, authority over the devil. Let's just go to 1 John. Where is the devil located? Where does he feel comfortable? You know, <clears throat> Francis Frangipani, in his excellent book, Three Battlegrounds, talks about the battleground of the mind, the battleground of the church, and the battleground of heavenly places. Uh, the, the, the enemy tries to create a certain atmosphere in regions. And there's different ways he, he goes about it. He, you know, if he can foster sin in an area, murder, prostitution, yeah. stuff like that, that gives him a certain jurisdiction, uh, an ability to influence in that area. And only the church can begin to diminish that. Sometimes the enemy has been in charge of an area or has influenced an area for centuries. Let me give you an example. I was preaching in the States in a place called Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And uh, Tuscaloosa is named after an Indian chief, Red Indian chief, Native American. And uh, <clears throat> I'm preaching for this pastor, a friend of mine, Dennis Avery. And uh, he lived in an area where there were lots of, lots of room between the houses. You know, it was kind of country area. So the houses weren't stuck together uh, like they are in London. Uh, and uh, so we went out for lunch, and uh, we went out for lunch, and we were sitting on the Black River. You know, my mind was going back to all those movies, Davy Crockett and John Wayne, seeing the Red Indians in their canoes, and it was that kind of picturesque place. And uh, he said this to me, him and his wife. He said, you know what, we have been around this region, we've knocked on doors, and in this area, nobody is interested in the gospel. That's what he told me. And I suddenly found myself saying to him, I said, do you know that the spiritual atmosphere that was here from centuries with the, the native Indians is still here? The power of those spirits has not been broken. And that's why these people are mesmerized. They are under that influence. And it's only Christians through prayer and fasting and evangelizing and worshiping that can break that. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Amen? So in a region where you see people are not interested in the gospel, you know that's because there are powers exerting an influence. And there's a very vivid example. Have you read that book, The Power of Praise and Worship by Terry Law? Yeah. Anyone read that book? Uh, the Power of Praise and Worship by Terry Law is another modern-day classic. 
It's awesome. And in that book is a story that I've never forgotten. And it's talking about this missionary who was giving out tracts on the border of Brazil and Uruguay. And um, there was a road, we are told in the story, and this side of the road was Brazil, and that side of the road was Uruguay. And this missionary was giving out tracts on the Uruguayan side, and nobody was taking them. They just walked past. And so she crossed the road, and this side she was giving people tracts, and most people were taking them. So she thought, that's strange. So she went back on this side, Uruguay, giving out tracts. Nobody would take them. Came back on this side, gave out tracts. People were taking them. So she thought, this is very strange. She saw a man or a woman, say it was a man coming down the road. She gave him a tract. He said no. He crossed the road. She crossed the road. Came back this side, gave it to him this side. He took it. <laughs> she found out later that on the Uruguayan side, there was no churches, no praying people, no worshiping people, no evangelism. And so it seemed like the principalities and the powers knew the very region, the very millimeter to which their influence was. And they were preventing people from this side to responding to the gospel. On the Brazilian side, there were churches, there were worshiping people, there were praying people. So the atmosphere this side was lighter than this side. Spiritual warfare. So you are the people that have the potential over a period of time, yes. along with God's people in this city, to change the atmosphere in the city. Yeah. 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 Amen? Yeah. You know, look at what it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie... And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus said the prince of this world is coming, but he has no place in me. He has no landing strip. He has no place to land in me. And there's one aspect of spiritual warfare that is quite neglected, and that is to do with our lifestyles. If you're living a bizarre lifestyle where you are permitting sin willfully, the devil has a jurisdiction in your life. And you can bind him until all your teeth fall out. And... Um, it won't have an effect. I, I visited a house, you know, of um, a Christian a while back, many years ago. And when they, they went out the room, I, I looked through their videos. And their videos had 18 movies, violent movies, movies with sex scenes, all kinds of stuff. When, when you've got all that junk in your house, and you try to throw the devil out of your house, he's not going anywhere. He said, this is my stuff. And as long as it's here, I can stay here. Amen. When I became a Christian, I was told that you shouldn't have anything in your house that uh, gives the enemy inroads. So, you know, we, we got rid of little things uh, that were sort of idols and things, uh, you know, uh, that may have been dangerous. And anything that was dodgy, I just threw it out. I didn't want to take any chances. Amen. And so, you know, you don't give jurisdiction uh, you don't allow the enemy to have any inroads to your life. But where is the enemy located? Essentially, the enemy is comfortable in darkness. Yeah. 
Look at, um, look at, you know, the Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus is called the light of the world and we are called the light of the world. Amen. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that in our lives there is not uh, condoned sin. You know, we don't live perfect lives. We all fall short of the glory of God. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. He forgives us. I'm not talking about the fact that we never do anything wrong. But if there's condoned willful sin in our lives, sin habits that we just tolerate, we give the enemy permission to work in our lives. And that will hinder your prayer life and so on. Look at um, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. So I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in fasting. I believe in prayer. I believe in binding the devil. Jesus said, yeah, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, before you plunder a house, bind the strong man. And when you bind the strong man, then you can plunder his goods. I believe all that stuff. But we don't want to allow the devil permission uh, to work in our lives. Amen. So recently, this is my almost daily prayer for a long time it was my daily prayer i say to the lord <coughs> i want to live a life of prayer i don't just want to have a prayer time i want to live a life of prayer like what mike bickle says he says when jesus says abide in me he said you could put it this way talk to me yeah. and you can talk to the lord at different times of the day he says that some people say they pray on the run. I was staying in the house of an elder. I was preaching somewhere in the Midlands or somewhere. I was staying in the house, very nice family. And I got up in the morning. I'd spent my time with the Lord. I saw one of the elders. He was eating his cornflakes and he had his Bible there. So I was talking to him. He said, I read my Bible while I'm having my cornflakes. He said, and then I pray and then I go to work. So basically he was saying he prayed on the run. You know, uh, my good friend Doug Williams, has Doug ever been here? No. no. My good friend Doug Williams, he's a, a great preacher, got a great church like your church, uh, very worshipping church. And he was speaking somewhere, and uh, a pastor got up to give a testimony. And this pastor stood up and he said, you know, I'm a bivocational pastor. He said, I have a job and I pastor a church. He said, I, I just get very tired. And he said, sometimes... I, I just don't have time to prepare a sermon. He said, when I'm crossing the car park on a Sunday and get it going into the church, God drops a thought into my mind and I preach it. He said, the Holy Spirit gives me a sermon at the last minute. Some people went, ooh. But Doug was not smiling. When he got up, he said this. He's a very forthright guy. He said that if he, with all respect, if this man pastor had not said this publicly, I wouldn't say anything publicly. He said, but if you prepare your sermon as you come into the car park to come to your church, he said, I suggest when you go home, you get a piece of paper and a pen and hand in your resignation. He said that publicly. He said, because if you haven't got time to go before the Lord for your congregation, they deserve someone better than you. Amen. We've all got 168 hours in the week and uh, we all have time to pray yes. if it's important to us we'll find time for what's important to us whether it's Britain's Got Talent or The X Factor or yeah. The Voice or 
you know, uh, we, we watch some of these programs and enjoy them. But they don't replace our prayer lives. We've already been with God. Amen? So look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can, cannot be hidden. Nor did they set a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Look at Matthew 6, verse 22. It speaks about light, speaks about darkness. This scripture always has fascinated me. I'm still trying to work out exactly what it means. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. I like the sound of that. They say, God, I want my whole body to be full of light. Jesus said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And Jesus said, the devil has no place in me. And in spiritual warfare, we need to make sure that we don't allow him to have a place in us. Amen. So for people who have a problem with pornography, that's tolerated darkness. Now, lots of people have fought battle against pornography. Even well-known Christians kind of overcome it. But if you give in to something like that, it'll paralyze your prayer life. So you don't want to allow that in your life. You want to, if you can't get, get victory on yourself, go to someone else and ask them to help you. Because it's darkness. It's just an example of darkness. We need to be careful of the movies we watch. I ask the Lord, I want to lead a life of prayer. And then I say, I want to lead a life of holiness. Without holiness, no one will see God. We don't see God without holiness. But you know, if you live a life of prayer and you live a life of holiness, it's still not enough. You have to live a life of fruitfulness. Because Jesus is looking for fruit. Amen. Any branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it'll bear more fruit. He's the vine, we are the branches, and he's looking for fruit in our lives. And, and don't ever give up on yourself. Get discouraged or think that you can't make it. Uh, there's nobody who can't make it. There's the most, people have been through the most horrendous things, but by God's grace have come through, you know, into victory. So we don't fight our battles on our own. When we're struggling in an area of our life, we need to go to someone and ask them to pray for us and ask them to stand with us. Amen. Whenever I've had struggles and I can't get through myself, I go to some of my friends in the ministry who I trust. They pray for me. Help me. I'm struggling. You know, I need help in this area of my life. I need her in that help in my life. It says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Well, who wants that? If therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And there's loads of scriptures here. And as you go through them, you find that the devil is located in darkness. So don't allow him any room in your life. Amen. That's an important part of spiritual warfare too. So we're looking at prayer. We're looking at faith. We're looking at spiritual warfare. You know, in um, Hebrews chapter 12, it says we're to run this race with perseverance, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So Jesus pioneers faith in us. In Romans 12 verse 3, it says we've all been given the measure of faith. Amen. So we've all, when we are born again, I believe we receive the capacity to have faith. And uh, our faith is in who? Uh, Pastor Jared quoted it earlier. He said, have faith in God. 
in Matthew 11, I think Mark 11, verse, round about verse 22, uh, Jesus is telling a story. You remember, we won't read it because of time, but you know the story how it says the disciples going past the fig tree, remember? Yes. And it says there that Jesus went over to the fig tree and uh, finding no fruit on it, let's say this is the fig tree. He looks at the fig tree, there's no fruit on it. He says, may no one eat fruit from you again. And it says there, if you read it carefully, and the disciples heard it. So the disciples heard what he said, and the Holy Spirit is very succinct with scripture. He puts things in for a reason. So you are meant to read that when he spoke to the fig tree, the disciples heard it. Have you ever spoken to a tree? You haven't spoken to a tree. Well, there's still time. Jesus went to a tree and he said, may no one eat fruit for you again. And the disciples heard it. So the disciples heard it. And then you know the story goes, they're coming back the next day. And the disciples say to Jesus, look, the fig tree which you cursed. So when he said, may no one eat fruit from you again, that was a curse. If he said, tree, be fruitful and multiply, that would have been a blessing. But he, he spoke words to the tree and the tree shriveled up and died. He said, Peter said to him, the tree which you cursed has shriveled up. And what's Jesus' uh, response? He basically says, if I can paraphrase it, I'm going to give you a lesson on how faith works. Yeah. He says in Mark 11 verse 22, he says, have faith in God. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, you've seen me speak to a tree, but I say to you, whoever says, To this mountain, be removed, and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it shall be done for him. Do you know that at least two or three times at night, I've woken up, and once I woke up, and I was actually saying, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, doesn't doubt in his heart, believes what he says, it shall be done for him. And I heard the Lord say to me, speak to the mountains. And I want to give you an important ingredient of prayer, faith, and spiritual warfare. There's a place in prayer where you rise up and you speak to things and they move. Yes. They literally move out of your It's not talking about you going down to Nepal and rearranging the Himalayas and speaking Mount Everest, move here, and Kenshin Jungle, move here. It's not a literal mountain. It, it, it speaks of something that's in your way that is blocking you from getting the will of God. And uh, Jesus said, you saw the way I spoke to the mountain. I'm going to teach you how faith works. And I'm saying to you, if you will say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. In Luke 17, I think he says, if you say to the sycamore tree, you'll be uprooted, cast in the sea, it'll, be, it'll happen. He said, if you speak in faith to that obstacle, you don't move it. It shall be done for you by a father in heaven. He moves the mountain, but he doesn't move it until you speak to it. And so there are places in prayer, as you're praying and you're being alone with God, you come into a place of faith and you stand up. And you say, you mountain, you barrier, you blockage in my uh, you know, marriage, in my finances, in my, you blockage, you barrier, you know, in my health. I speak to you and I say, be removed and cast into the sea. Amen? Amen. And sometimes you just keep speaking to the mountain in prayer. And suddenly one day you realize it's gone. Yeah. It's moved out of your way. Yeah. 
Jesus is teaching. He says, have faith in God. He said, you've seen what I've done and you can do it too. Because you saw the way I spoke to that tree. And I'm saying to you that whoever says to this mountain, whoever is anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, you know, and, constant, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says, it shall be done for him. He said, therefore I say to you, whatever you ask in prayer. Now here's the process of prayer, yeah? Here's the place where prayer begins. And we're taking a line, and there's the place where the answer comes. Yeah. And Jesus says to you, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you, yeah. have received it, past tense, yeah. and it will be yours, yeah. future tense. Yeah. So when you pray in faith, you're praying for something, you have prayed for it in faith, and it's on its way. And every day, you look at the horizon of your life, where is it, where is it? Yeah. Any second now, it's going to come. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way we bought houses. We bought houses several times without any money. Do you know that's impossible? <laughs> when we went to buy the house, we didn't have money. But when we went to sign the papers, the money was there. Now, if you do that and the money doesn't come, don't blame me. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you what we did. And we, we had faith in God and his promises and he was encouraging us and we were going to buy a house and then the money came and then we bought the house amen and when we sold it we made a big profit and then we bought another house God loves to provide houses for his people you just need to make sure that you are where he wants you to be and you're doing what he wants you to do you don't sit around watching TV all day and don't serve the Lord don't bother to come to prayer meetings don't bother to witness and then you say give me a house he say yeah sure your house is not on its way. Because God blesses those who are engaging him, amen? Because he's relational. He's extremely relational. So uh, the Lord, uh, the devil is located in darkness. The Lord is located in light. Let your home be full of light. Let your life be full of light, amen? You know, we want to be like bright shining bulbs. We are the light of the world. We walk into a dark room. And the atmosphere changes. I like what yes. Bill Johnson says. Has he been up here? Bill Johnson says he, he walks into, you know, like um, a Costco type place or a, a Walmart, you know, wherever it is in America, a Tesco type place, Sainsbury's. And he just, as he walks in, he says, I just released the atmosphere of the kingdom of God in this place. Mm. Yeah. And he was doing that every time he went into this particular store. And the manager came up to him one day and said, you know, whenever you walk into the store, the atmosphere changes. Wow. Do you know you can do that? Yes. You know, when I first started learning about spiritual warfare, I was binding every principality and every power, and I was so tense, and I was so upset, and I had no peace, and, you know, like, I hated the devil, and I hated myself, and I'm praying like this with such intensity, no joy, and I found out that there's a better way to do it. So when we moved to a new area, I didn't bind up all the principalities. I just walked down the streets and said, I bless this place. Yeah. Lord, release the atmosphere of your kingdom. Yeah. Will you bless this place? Will you bless this town? Will you bless this? And you invite the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. There may be times when God will lead you to bind things, but you don't have to bind everything every time you pray. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I walk into my little granddaughter's school and I see all the kids there and I just say, I release the atmosphere of the kingdom of God into the school. Amen. Why not? Yeah, Try it. Yeah. Release it in your house. Yeah. You know, you get 
two, three, four hundred people walking through hell and they're all releasing the atmosphere of the kingdom of God in ten years time, don't you think the whole place would have changed? Amen. You're praying, you're believing God and you know, we moved into an area that was very, very dark in about 16 years ago. We, we grew out, outgrew one venue and came into another venue. When we moved into this new venue, one of our ladies said, when we set up the hall on a Sunday, she said it was like walking into hell Sunday morning. They found uh, bottles of beer, the smell of urine, there was um, Durex things in this hall. And, uh, you know, the, 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 just the atmosphere, they had to clean up the room before we had a service. And when we moved in there, for the first time, we found it so difficult to worship. Yeah. I was looking at the people, and we had come from a building where we were used to worshiping, where our worship was alive, it used to go through the roof. And we suddenly came into this area, and I'd look at the people, and they wouldn't be worshiping. I would think, what's wrong with you? Don't you realize the spiritual atmosphere here is different and you have got to press through it. Yeah. And that area there, there was a shooting. We moved into the area. Uh, the week before, we announced on Sunday we're having our service in that area. Next Sunday, somebody got shot. They boarded up the whole place. Uh, and uh, we didn't have time. You know, there were no texts and, and uh, you know, uh, emails and all that stuff in those days. And so it's not like these days you can just send everybody a text and say the place is boarded up. Probably just as well. Because what we went, we went and walked around the building and took authority. And the day before, next Sunday, they unboarded the building. And we walked in there and had our first service. But people have said in the last 15 years how the atmosphere has changed in our area. The atmosphere has changed. It's lighter. Churches that came into that hall... There was a well-known church that came there. It nearly got busted. We came there. Our church nearly fell apart. I don't know what we were up against there, but the atmosphere in that area was very hard. And it took us a couple of years to break through it properly. But now the whole atmosphere has changed. Amen? Amen. Just by being there. Just by worshipping. Just by praying. Just by being who we are and uh, evangelizing. So that's what God's called us to do. And, uh, you know, it starts with your personal prayer life. Yeah. If you're a married couple, try and pray together every day. Yes? Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm in a hurry, I'll go and uh, sit with my wife before I go out. And I just say, say a short prayer. Commit the day to the Lord. And she says a short prayer. Then we hold hands and we say the Our Father together. When we're in a real rush, I've got to go through the door and, you know, we haven't had time to pray for some reason. I just hold a hand and we say the Lord's Prayer. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we're thinking it through. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. As we're saying it in faith. And uh, we just, a family that prays together. Let's build prayer into our homes. Amen. Into our marriages. There's some married couples who've never prayed together. Into our church. Church prayer is very important. And you're in, in a season of prayer right now. Amen? Amen? So in your own prayer life, know this. When you make a decision to spend time with God every day, quality time, reading the word, praying, the enemy will resist you. You need to set a time. 
You need to schedule it. Have a prayer list. Spend that time alone with God. No wonder he said, go into your room and shut the door. Because if you don't, you get distracted. Everything will come at you. Children, grandchildren. You know, we've got our house. Sometimes the Lord wakes me up at night. In fact, he wakes me up every night. I need to talk to him about that. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly every night he wakes me up. And sometimes I've scheduled, you know, to pray in the morning. And I've only slept a few hours and he wakes me up. But I've learned to obey it. And uh, I remember the times when I haven't obeyed it. It's like I get up at four in the morning and I spend time with God and I go back to bed. And then I get up and I have tea and interact with my family. And then I like to spend time in the morning in prayer, quality time alone with the Lord. That's the season I'm in now. When I was younger, we had a different schedule. And then suddenly as I go to my prayer time, I get a call from my daughter. You know, Camille is sick. She hasn't gone to school. Can you look after her? Well, what do you say? Always say yes. But you groan inwardly because now Camille is coming into the house. I love my grandchild, but it's interfering with my prayer time. And if I hadn't got up and prayed at 4 o'clock in the morning, my prayer time would have gone. So Camille comes and says, hello, granddad. And then your heart just melts. You want to read your Bible and pray and, you know, and all this business. So God, what I'm saying is guard your personal prayer time. Build family prayer time into your life, you know. Don't neglect your church gathering prayer times. It's very powerful because one can put a thousand to flight. Two could put 10,000 to flight. Amen. Especially when you're in a season. We are every January. We have a, a whole month of fasting and prayer. And we sow seed into our year. January 2015, we fasted, prayed. Some, you know, like uh, Jared was saying, some fast for a week, three days, or a week or two days a week. Or some go the whole period. And we're sowing into the spirit for yeah. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And we feel the benefits of that prayer yeah. for months to come. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. There's much more we can say, but time is running away with us. So let's stand. Hallelujah. Let's just reach out to the Lord. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord and come before him. We come before you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for who you are. You are holy. You are worthy. You are mighty. We bless you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord. And we thank you for being our God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And thank you, Lord, you are teaching us and training us every day. Lord, help us to live lives of prayer. Help us to live lives of holiness and help us to live lives of fruitfulness so that when we come before you, we will have a great reward because we have borne fruit. Let's just ask the Lord now to release the spirit of prayer over our lives and over our homes. You know, there are three places that need to become houses of prayer. Our lives. You are a mobile prayer unit. You're a house of prayer. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your home can become a house of prayer. We don't wait for foreign religions to have their temples in their homes and their restaurants and take over the atmosphere in our cities. We make sure our homes are homes of prayer. Jesus went into the temple and he flung all the furniture all over the place. And I put it this way. He rearranged the furniture to accommodate prayer. 
He said, if it's my house, it must be a house of prayer. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a mobile prayer unit. Wherever you go and you pray, things change. Your home can be a house of prayer. And your church can become a house of prayer for the nations. So let's ask the Lord to help us to rearrange the furniture in our lives, rearrange the furniture in our homes, rearrange the furniture in our churches to accommodate prayer. And when the place was cleared for prayer, then the blind and the lame came, and then miracles took place. Until the place was rearranged for prayer, no miracles took place. So let's make a declaration, and let's ask the Lord to help us, and let's ask Him to release the spirit of prayer over these three areas.